show. Great to be with you today in studio. Finally got a full house this week. It's been a while. Deacon Chad and Deacon I mean, Chad. <laughs> yeah, I'm all confused. Deacon Adam and Uncle Chad. There you go. As Adam would say, Unc Chad. Unc Chad. But uh, now you're Dad Chad. I am Dad Chad. Long time before I can even be a deacon if I want to, you know? That's, That's true. true. You're way too young to be a deacon. However, if you're ever going to be a young deacon, you should talk to Deacon Adam because he's like the I have youngest. Some experience with that, yeah. He deacon, cut the line. You're the youngest deacon in the diocese. You're actually oh, the yeah. youngest deacon that I know. Yeah. Well, minimum age. You I haven't it. researched it, but I uh, could be the youngest in the country or even the world. I don't know. I haven't researched it. You should do an article on that just to say that they did an interview, an article. Why don't we do an interview today? It goes national. So, Adam, what's it feel like to be the youngest deacon in the world? If you want something to go national, you need a different headline than that. <laughs> <laughs> youngest deacon in the world. <laughs> so, uh, Exciting stuff. So, Have you seen? Do we switch Chad's name from Uncle Chad to Dad Chad? I mean... Father Chad. <laughs> <laughs> now, that, that one's taken in the Catholic universe. Yes. To call right. someone Father something. So. Mm-hmm. Dad the Father. Chad the well, I mean, just because he's a dad doesn't mean doesn't he's work. not an uncle, or not any less than an uncle, because he's not an uncle to begin with. So it's You're not right. like he's less an uncle now. I'm an uncle maker. Yeah. Wow. Well, that, there you go. So what's it feel like, man? You know, uh, you, first child. Here you are. It's like, I mean, I I've loved it. I it's exciting. I'm tired mm-hmm. and a little sleepy. You know, that's that's been my like prevailing emotion. That's the thing tired. that you never get used to. And I saw you for the first time actually yesterday. And I ran into Chad, and I was like, dude, you look horrible. He's like, thanks, man. That makes me feel great. I was like, no, no, no. Like, you really do look horrible. You look exhausted. You look tired. But that's a good thing. Yeah, it is. It'll wear off when you're, like, 65. (laughs) Probably so. It never wears off. Maybe one day I'll get it. Because then your kids, there's a small window, okay, as as a parent that you sleep. That small window is when your kids, you know, are, like, age four to, you know, before they get a teenager, you're gonna sleep in those windows, and then and then you stop sleeping. That's again. like eight years. That's not bad. Well, it depends on how many kids you have. You're right. You're right. That's the thing. You're right. If you <laughs> have one kid, that's eight. But see, they they're spaced out. So then, when you have an, you know, so it's gonna take a thirteen so like year Deacon, old. Deacon, it'd be like twenty years before he's. Dude, sometimes there's like there's seasons. like a problem parade at two a.m. You know, oh, yeah. four or five kids have come to me with different <laughs> problems that I have to solve. It happens. As long as it's not vomiting, which is very possible. Well, that's happened. Because with a lot of kids, yeah. what happens is one starts and you clean them up, you lay in bed, you're like, yeah, this is probably going to spread. And yeah, that was my week two weeks ago. Yeah. That was, and then it's like, it is, you know, the vomit train. It's like mm-hmm. everybody gets it and then you're just washing yeah, sheets all night, I this guess. This is solid Catholic radio. Right now, <laughs> right now, it's pretty simple for me. It's uh, it's pretty simple. I mean, the only the only issue is my child has has pooped or he's hungry. And I can help put one half of those things. You can solve those half of those problems. That's yeah. Good. Well, that's good. Well, so congratulations. Our listeners Congrats, have, uh, have been wondering how you're doing. Welcome back. Thanks to everyone who's listening on the radio, KLFT Radio 90.5, and on the podcast. Uh, thanks for being a part of it. Uh, so, chat, you haven't been here in a while. Do you have a have you seen? What did you say? That is so interesting. Oh, for real, though? All right, for real, though. There's, uh, there's this rapper out there. Okay. His name's Lil Uzi. Okay. 
I don't know. I'm uh, not sure what that means. I think there's Lil Uzi Vert is the full name. Lil Uzi I've heard of him. Yeah. Uzi not, not that Vert? I've listened. I wouldn't be able to name any of his songs. But yeah. I don't, it's been a while since I've really dove into rap music. Vert. V-E-R-T. Like that's his yeah. last name? or it's, I don't know. I don't know. It's his rapper's last name. Maybe that has something to do with it. A lot of times anyway. rapper have aliases. So, you know, you could look up their real name. It might be Nathan Hamilton. <laughs> Lil Uzi sounds like that doesn't like, really stick like like Lil Uzi. That's right. Sounds like what I would tell my doctor after they say, "So what's wrong?" I say it's a Lil Uzi. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> but but that's his name. God uh, bless him. <laughs> anyway, I thought that was really funny. I don't know. <laughs> you're a dad now. I you're, know you're right. You get all the dad jokes. It gotta be good. That's not how he spells his name. You know, it's like U Z I. So I'd never even thought of it because I've only ever seen it, you know, mm-hmm. not just heard it. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> he got his forehead pierced, Okay. which doesn't happen very often. But, it, you know, when it does, you go all out. And he put a uh, 10 to 11. He said it's an almost 11 carat pink diamond in his forehead. Okay. And pierced it. It worth like $24 million. Holy smoke. Wow. So like the... Um, <clears throat> what's his name? Um, the superhero that has the jewel in the head? forehead what's yeah. his name vision vision uh from the marvel guy the marvel guy mm-hmm. he put it he like tattooed it in the middle of his head 24 million dollars i hope he has good body no, just stuck there it's yeah i was pissed. gonna say there's there's a pretty long list of countries he can no longer visit yeah 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 <laughs> really well they're gonna kill him and take his time yeah, right? you know? <laughs> i mean you're right 24 million dollars like you know I mean, That's... you're probably on a hit list, and I, I don't say that oh, yeah. in a weird way, but you kind of put yourself out there. Yeah. Now, I don't know. I'm looking it up as you're talking. Like, there is actual image of this. There's so much to talk about here, and, and that's not the topic of the show. But, um, <laughs> you know, honestly, when I read this, the first thing I get is like, okay, that's that's kind of crazy. You know, people tattoo, people do piercings, you know, all that. That's a whole nother topic of the show. Uh, $24 million jewel, you know, and I just think of, like, my automatic reaction is I just think of like the poverty in the world. And I think you're putting a jewel in your forehead, you know, and you know, this morning I, I ran into a woman who couldn't put gas in her car. So I helped mm. her out. Right. Like, like the, the, you know, and and I can't say like in his heart, he's not helping people. I'm just saying like $24 million jewel in your forehead. Yeah. You're, Do you think you could take it out? Like, I hope so. Take it off. I don't know. You know, I don't know. Like, what if he has to lay face down to, like, I don't know, do something? But like, what if you, he has to go to the chiropractor? This is his quote because I was looking at I was looking it up, Chad, as you were, as you were uh, as you were talking. I was looking it up. He his his motto for this whole thing is in quotes: "Beauty is pain." Beauty is pain. Is it? That's what that's what. Well, he there says. is there's some interesting theological uh, reflection on that phrase, actually. Yeah. I mean, there there is. You know, beauty and pain. I mean, I'm not going to argue with that. There is, well, that's there, that's know. straight out of Augustine, actually. Right. You know? mm. um, this idea that you've been wounded by the beauty of God, and like, there's nothing you can do about it except love Him in return. It's like this wound that God gives you. And so maybe Luzi is a bit yeah, of a theologian. But here's the thing: so. is you know, and when you zoom out culturally, and you know, this is sort of a microcosm of the culture, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you zoom out, you're like, okay, let's let's take that in, into like a larger context. Is when you don't know the source of beauty, you'll you'll try to find beauty in in all sorts of things, mm-hmm. and sort of mm-hmm. your identity, you know. So you know, twenty four 
million dollar jewel on your forehead it caused you pain and this is where your beauty your identity is coming from i mean that this is a slippery slope of losing your whole identity of who you really are you know mm. but when you know that your beauty and your identity is found in relationship with god like you know you don't need to tattoo it on your forehead or put a jewel to remind you of that it, it it's internal, you know, like who you are. And so this is, it gets really complicated. Like, mm -hmm. wait, but this is our true story and, and, and this is crazy. Well, often things like that escalate because you assume that once you get something done like that, whether it's a tattoo or whatever, or, or if you just buy that thing you've always wanted to buy, you assume that you're going to have this sense of completion upon it. Right. But in reality, you're just thinking, I'd like a 50 million now on mm -hmm. my, Back. Yeah, and I kind of wrote <laughs> about this, which is interesting. I haven't thought about um, my book, Rethink Happiness, in a long time. But this week I did an interview on EWTN um, TV, Life on the Rock, and which is it's going to air February 14th, so Valentine's Day. Oh, yeah, yeah, and it wasn't a show in love. Well, you guys, you, <laughs> but I did it over. I did it over Skype. Corn and watch it. I uh, did it over Skype because I couldn't travel in, not because of COVID, because it was it was sort of a the travel didn't work out, but. Um, you know, they were talking to me about the book and, and brother John, it was his first time to read it. So he was asking me questions I was like, Oh, I forgot that was in there. Like, it's been, <laughs> you know, so, um, but venerable Fulton Sheen talked a lot about that in, in his preaching and in his writings, he talked about this idea of destination happiness, which is this, this idea that when I reach a certain destination, it'll fulfill me, right? When I get this jewel in my forehead, when I make this amount of money, when I get this job, when I have a baby, when I get married, when, 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 and I get to that moment and, and I'm just, it, it doesn't bring me the fulfillment and happiness that I thought it would because when you take God out of the equation, the God who made us and created us and were found in, and made in his image and likeness, when we, you take God out of the equation, there is no there is no happiness that lasts. It, it all fades, right? Even if it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember right when I got, or like not long after I got married, uh, thinking, like I had this persistent feeling of loneliness, which had a lot to do with mm -hmm. other grief and things that I was struggling with. But I thought that <clears throat> after I get married, like that wouldn't, I'm with someone all the time, so that wouldn't feel that way. And that just like wasn't true. You know, like I thought that doing this thing would, would, yeah, made me feel better, but it didn't. I mean, like, like that's not you, the reason I got married. No, of course, no, no, but, but you have this. You just you just expect that to go away. Perception you know? that that this will fulfill a certain thing in my life, and in a sense, it does because vocation is good, mm -hmm. love is good, marriage is good. God created it, and it does have a sense of purpose for you and me, uh, and and Deacon Adam. Like it, it there is fulfillment, but it's not it's not endless fulfillment. Mm -hmm. it, it is not complete fulfillment. That's that's the that's the place where people get stuck is like, oh, this is, this is going to be the endless fulfillment. You know, if I get this or arrive here, this idea of destination happiness. And I find it so prevalent today, you know, and I can even get trapped in it. It's like, oh yeah, when, you know, this or whatever. And it, and it, it's simply, um, it's, a, it's, it's what other saints have called a mirage of mm -hmm. happiness. I think that's why the church provides us things like Advent and Lent is to, I mean, that's how we temper ourselves, right? Like we, even if you don't eat too much food, it's good to deny yourself food, you know, and, and remind yourself that you don't have to be attached to these things or whatever it is, like an opportunity to fast and abstain from things that, that are comforts, 
that we don't need. St. Augustine talks about that as well. And I am reading the confessions right now. I'm glad you brought it up. And I, I mean, it's so good. Yeah. It's so good. I mean, I know it's a classic and like people recommend it all the time as like a great book, but, um, he talks about like one of the, towards the end of the book, after he gets through his conversion, and all these things he talks about, um, he examines whether or not his senses are attached to things. So like the sense of touch, like am I attached to those sensual pleasures and, um, the eyes and even the smell and taste and like food and am I attached to those things or not? And I think it's a, it's a good thing for us to examine as well. Like, am I, is there anything that I'm trying to replace God with? Yeah. One of the, the readings this week, the second reading, St. Paul said, be satisfied with what you have. And that line really hit me, it, it, mm. you know, be satisfied with what you have. You know, this idea that, that your state of life, where you are, what God has gifted you with, rest in that, be satisfied. Not so much like, hey, you know, don't have goals, objectives, don't try to better yourself. That, that's not what, that's not what he was getting at, right? But be satisfied with the gift that God's giving you today, like how he's provided for you today. And, and that line really hit me because, you know, I had to ask the question, am I satisfied with the gift of grace I have today? Can I rest in what God has provided for me today? Or am I going to be restless? Am I going to mm -hmm. be constantly unsatisfied in looking for other opportunities, right? So God, who is pure spirit, blesses us who are spirit and body, soul and body, through the signs of created goods, right? Like So he blesses the angels directly, spirit to spirit. He infuses knowledge and love and everything else in them. Like There's a direct blessing that happens but through us there's a mediation of created goods until that day when we see him face to face but this this mediation of created goods is not a distraction from him it's rather a way to communicate those blessings and it gives those created goods a value it's not that we think too little of good things in this life that we want to deny ourselves of them it's mm -hmm. that we think so much of them that every good gift no matter how small has an infinite value because it's a gift from God to bless us. Mm -hmm. Even if it's a small blessing by our standards, the God who loves us through it is infinite. And mm -hmm. so that's why poverty in the Christian mindset is not just a self-discipline. And it's not a rejection of the world that God created. It's not a rejection of the good. It's rather recognizing that even the smallest things, like if I only have bread enough to eat once a day, that blessing represents an infinite love behind it. And that God mm. who loves me has provided it for me. There's nothing more to be satisfied with. There is no greater satisfaction than to be loved by God because that's what we're created for. I think there's this sort of love belief that. that someone who's poor or poverty in general is a sign of, you know, God's blessing is absent. Yeah. God's love is absent. And that's not true. You know, because in poverty and simpleness, whether you choose it or it's something that you grew up in and live in, God's still very, very present, <laughs> even more so in a sense that God is very present to the poor mm -hmm. in the simplicity. And if you, if you ever have the opportunity, right, to like, you know, be around, you know, you may be on mission in, in, in a poor country, that you're not like, you're not oftentimes hit by this idea that there's unhappiness, there's sadness, mm -hmm. there's a sense of like detachment and joy that, that even, you know, I don't have at times because I'm so consumed by things. Right. Mm. And, uh, 
you know, this, this idea of being detached is extremely important to the Christian life. And I was reading uh, an, uh, a writing from Father Jacques Philippe. He, you know, Adam and I were kind of talking about this book last week, just the broad stroke. He wrote this new book it's called Nine Days to Peace. And in it, you know, he talks about detachment, being detached from things, from the world. And if we're not detached, you basically what he's saying is we won't have peace. When we're, when we're attached to things, there is an absence of peace. And that is so true. When I'm attached to whatever ideas I have, when I'm attached to whatever successes I have, when I'm attached to whatever, it's like it sucks the air out of my lungs, the, mm-hmm. the peace out of my heart, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that in the, scripturally speaking, um, when we look at the human heart or the human person, our Lord on his lips, there's three words he uses to describe our life. Um, one, bios, is like our human life, just our natural life, our eating, our drinking, all these things. Um, psyche, he uses, which is like our, our the life of our soul, where we think, where we love, where we ponder, you know, the world's problems, like that's that life. And then zoe, which is our spiritual life, which is this openness to him, to receive his life. And attachment to the things of bios and psyche, in other words, to the physical goods that are good, or the intellectual goods, the uh, you know the more noble goods, relationships, love, whatever. Any attachment to them for their own sake limits my zoe, limits my openness mm. to the blessing that God wants to give me, because those created goods can become a way to open me to God, or they can close me off to Him. The same good. Mm-hmm. Can open me to him, open my Zoe, you know, enrich it. And he came. He said, "I came to give you life, Zoe, and life t- to the full." Like that's why God is in our, Jesus is in our life is to open that element in us and open us to God to receive all the life that God wants to give us. But um, we get attached to creatures, and that's Augustine's main thesis of his life. Like this conversion of attachment to creatures that are good that God gave us instead of the Creator. Yeah, and it well, it seems like the right orientation then is like that you're so I guess radically attached to God and to who He is as, as love that all the created goods are then gifts. They're not. It's not something that's ours or it's not something that belongs to us per se, but a, a gift from the loving Father, like something that has been given to us and could come and go as as God pleases. It's not something we're owed, right? Or something we own, right? Yeah, because I mean we don't own our wives or spouses we don't own our children we don't own like any of the best things in our life we really don't own mm-hmm. and and that's the the attachment that we get which which sucks the life out of us we don't even own our own homes right like at the end at the end of time like in our time it's all gone like yep. you know it, it's we we take nothing with us and you know we spend so much of our time trying to sort of you know climb this earthly ladder and it's exhausting and yet the rest and peace that we all desire, every one of us desire, is in, is in this knowing that God is the good God, the good provider, and that they're all good gifts, but they're his, you know, and that, you know, we're, we're just sharing in the life of God on this earth, and yet our, our end destiny is heaven. In other words, when you take heaven out of the equation, when you take 
that goal out of the equation. I mean, life is very depressing. You know, when you see, you know, the highest suicide rate in the world is in Japan, where there's a lot of money, like the economy is is super high, and the um, religion rate is very low, right? The faith rate is, is extremely low, the economy's high, and yet the suicide rate is huge. It's massive. Because there, there is no end. There's no, there's no goal. There, there, heaven does not exist. There's no hope mm-hmm. in, in knowing that uh, there's something greater. And it's greater for everyone. That's the thing. Like Jesus isn't just for Christians and for the non-Japanese, like for Westerners. Mm-hmm. That's one of the, it's one of the lies of today. Really, is there's this narrative that Christianity is like a European white thing. I mean, it's not at all. Like Jesus mm-hmm. is for everyone because everyone was created to have life to the full. And uh, Christ opens us up to that life, and that's the only way to do it. But it's in every heart to desire it, and that's the thing. Augustine's heart was restless till it rests in God, and every Japanese heart is restless till it rests in God. And then when we try to rest in something else and it disappoints us, the more profound the good we thought it was, the heavier the disappointment and the tragedy we experience. And where do you go next if there is no God in your life? If there's no one to preach the gospel, like what do you do? You either chase the next thing or you give up. Amen to that. All right, we're going to take a break. The show's getting a little oozy here. (laughs) uh, It's a little oozy, Doc. (laughs) We'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the health care problem. Are you paying too much for your health care cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a health care sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund health care costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks for listening in on the podcast on the radio. We got a full studio today. Uh, Dad Chad and Deacon Adam. So great to be with you guys. Dad Paul. Yes. Yes. I am a father. I'm a dad. I'm a husband. Yeah. A lot of things. <laughs> yeah. A lot of names. I'm sure you would. Uh, <laughs> you know. We shouldn't mention on Catholic radio. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting that. Uh, a feast of the saints this Sunday or uh, Saturday. Saturday on February 6th is a cool one. I love this feast day uh, for a lot of reasons. And honestly, like I didn't even think about mentioning the statistics in Japan in the first segment. <laughs> and then this feast day just happens to be, you know, tomorrow, February 6th. It's the feast of St. Paul, Miki and companions. Oh yeah. Which is in, uh, Nagasaka, Japan, where they were martyred, crucified. Crucified. Can you imagine like being straight up crucified? I mean, that's a wild. All the the images of it, like the paintings of it, is just like a bunch of crucifixes and people on crucifixes. Yep, that's wild. Yep. Yeah, we love Saint Paul Miki uh, at our house, and we're we've named our child Paul, and he'll be baptized on the feast of Saint Paul Miki. It wasn't after wow. me. It wasn't after me. I mean, you're in there. Sure. Right. If I ever met a really bad Paul, I would say I'm not naming my kid Paul. But since I've only met good Pauls, 
like you, I have every confidence that this is going to work out. Maybe he'll be a tall Paul like me. We'll see. You never know. <laughs> Probably not. So among the companions were priests, brothers, laymen, Franciscans, Jesuits, uh, members of the secular Franciscan order. They were catechists, doctors, um, servants, old men, innocent children, all united in the common of faith. So basically a community mm -hmm. of people, all generations, all shapes and sizes, um, common of faith and love for Jesus. Uh, and Brother Paul Maki was a Jesuit and a native of Japan. Um, and he's kind of like, you know, the name leader. But, you know, they add companions to there because, you know, they were living the faith together. They were spreading the gospel together. And they died together. Right. Yeah. And it's it's interesting in America, I think we we kind of forget about the um, initial pain of the faith coming to this country. Because we had similar situations, St. Isaac jokes. I mean, anytime you bring the gospel to where it's never been before, people are getting killed. They're yeah. going to get martyred. Isn't that wild? And we had that in our nation. Um, we don't really talk about it much. And then you have folks that maybe didn't get killed in a martyrdom, but gave their lives in heroic ways to spread the gospel and very like, like St. Unipro Sarah who traveled, I mean, at a time where you didn't have trains, planes, and automobiles just everywhere preaching the gospel. And um, our nation was built on people like St. Paul Miki, you know, our faith in, in our country. And uh, sometimes we get pretty wimpy as Catholics. And I think uh, St. Paul Miki is a great gut check. It's like, would you... Would you be a Paul Meeky? Right, and this is what happens in a society where <clears throat> when you um, take God out of the picture, out of the equation, you know, where where is a lot of Japan, not all of Japan, not every person, you know, but where where is the country of Japan? Like, they're in a depressive state of life, mm -hmm. you know, although, you know, maybe their economy is well, maybe whatever the case may be, um, the absence of God in a culture, in a heart, and in, in, in taking it out, what does it do? You know, so they started this centuries ago, just eliminating God from the equation. Where has it left them? You know, and I think mm -hmm. about our our culture here in the Western culture, we begin to slowly do that. And I think a lot of people are worried that that's happening in our culture, right? Like, mm -hmm. like God's getting being taken out of the equation, which I think it's more important for people like us, people who are listening, people who are Christians, to understand the baptismal call to be missionary in the world. Whether you're a full-time missionary, whether you're a missionary in your, in obviously your home, your neighborhood, your 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 workplace, it's extremely important to understand our call to share the gospel, the good news, with people, right? So that that they can find purpose and meaning in their life. Yeah, I know. Uh, America is actually one of the more religious countries in the Western world, you know, and it maybe the government or the uh, at least in higher education maybe be trying to like rapidly secularize and and move in that direction but much of the people at least are still pretty religious and you can't I don't know if you could say the same for like much of western europe no you can't at all and that's why it's, well you can say it for poland poland you maybe, know yeah thanks to john paul ii and other great polish leaders bishops in particular of the early 20th century that saw what was coming saw the wave of atheism secularism mm -hmm. materialism and actually did something about it and saved their people um, but no, that's why like the birth rate in Europe. So in Japan, there's a lot of suicides in Europe as well. But I mean, the birth rate is like a virtual suicide because uh, cultural yeah. suicide 
Because like we're saying, we don't want to continue life to the next generation. That's what you're saying. Like we don't, we don't think human life is worth continuing very much. Right. And, um, and so they're dying. And like you're saying, without God, there's only death. I mean, there's only despair. There's only destruction. And uh, yeah, that's what it leads to. It said one of the things that uh, you said, you mentioned the culture and without religion, I mean, there really is no culture, right? One of the things I noticed even doing youth ministry is that, I mean, the kids just love learning about the tradition of the church and like all that the church has to offer. I feel like a lot of people feel like they've lost that, you know, they don't well, really yeah, I mean, know much about it. The history. But you to know, hear like, the history of the church absolutely. and all that we've done and, and the celebrations, the things that, we, that we've learned to have festivals over, you know? Right. I think one of the, the major histories, though, we skip over is that Jesus was a human person that walked the earth, right? Like, yeah. like and started the church. Mm-hmm. And, and to really be able to go back in, into, you know, the time of Jesus and understand who he was and understand his life. And then, the, you know, the whole gospel story from Old Testament to New, but at the apex and the center of it all is the Son of God, right? In a lot of ways, you know... Someone was saying the other, you know, we, we could evangelize or, or reach people like just, you know, through our love and hospitality. Yeah, absolutely. Like that is a character and a trait and a virtue of the Christian walk and Christ. But someone does not have a conversion through osmosis. Mm-hmm. You know, they have a conversion by being introduced to the kerygma, to the living word of God, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, understanding that God loves him and sent his son Jesus. And like when when we even culturally as a church remove kind of that that gospel truth out of the everyday, what we see is people who are practicing the faith but not living the faith. If that yeah. makes any sense at all. You may get disappointed with the faith. You know, there's this we're talking about disappointment and chasing after a worldly good that didn't quite fulfill you. Chasing after a mediocre Christianity or a Christianity kind of divorced from Jesus does not fulfill us. Right. And so we sit in the pews Sunday after Sunday or not, pretty unfulfilled in our religious life, in our spirituality, right? Like a lot of Catholics give off that slightly angry, unfulfilled vibe. And it's a turnoff to folks who are interested in the church. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, you know, Christ is real. He comes into our life. I love the gospel reading from this Sunday from Mark chapter 1, 29. It's one that maybe we're familiar with, but I love it. It says, on leaving the synagogue, Jesus entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Simon, who is Peter, the mother-in-law, lay sick with a fever. Okay, so we know that Simon Peter was married because he had a mother-in-law, unless they had a different tradition back then. I don't know what it is. (laughs) So not only... Not only was Simon a good man, his mother-in-law was living with him. Okay, so, you know, like, let's do this. Like, family is actually happening. Uh, He loves his mother-in-law. And uh, it doesn't say anything about his wife, but we can assume, right, Mm -hmm. Uh, that he was married. uh, They immediately uh, told Jesus about her. He approached, grasped her hand, and helped her up. Then the fever left, and she waited on them, right? So Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. And I love this because this is one of the few... Um, gospel readings where you see uh, family, you mm-hmm. know, you you see this idea of family, and you can start to kind of um, grasp the fact that that the disciples had families. You know, not only were some of them brothers, some of them were related, some of them were friends, some of them were married, some have mother in laws, 
And it wasn't, you know, when Jesus says, hey, come follow me, like they did, but, but they, they didn't exclude their, their vocation. And it's like Jesus enters into the vocation of Simon Peter that day, heals his mother-in-law and became a part of, entered into the family dynamic, entered into his vocation, right? This is, this is the living God, even in our life today. Like Jesus wants to enter into our world. He wants to enter into our marriage, our family, our fatherhood, our motherhood. He wants to step in and be at the center of that. And like, what did she do once she was healed? She wasn't like, Hey, thanks. You know, I'm going to go get my nails done. It says, then the fever left and she waited on them. She served like she, she became part of, of the community. Right. And mm-hmm. St. Paul Miki, they, they were families that lived together. They lived in community. They journeyed together. They supported one another and they died together, but, but they live together now in heaven, you know? So what, what we, what we think was a loss was actually a gain. And Jesus enters the house of Simon Peter and enters into their world and their family that that's the missionary vigor we need today is to allow Jesus to enter into our worlds, not leave the world that we're in, but enter into it. And who else is going to do that except us, right? Like Simon Peter, the first Pope, um, if he wouldn't have led Jesus into his house, then who else would? Right. Right. So every baptized Catholic, the assumption is that you want Jesus in your life. And when we, when we deny that, like if we don't let him in fully, it's not like someone else is going to take up that job. You know what I mean? It's not like, I mean, we're the baptized Christians. That's, mm-hmm. that's a good point. Yeah. No one else can take that seat. Yeah. It belongs to Jesus. So if Jesus isn't at the center of your family, no one else can sit there. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, that's what you're saying. Like, yeah. like no one else can take that place to feel that, fill that gap that's there. And there is a great void in marriages and in families because Jesus isn't at the center. Right. There's there's something missing here. Right. There's something that's not right. It's out of place. And you see it all the time. Yeah, and I think we I'm just thinking about the idea of like, well, St. Paul Miki, like he's named probably because he was one people were following, you know, and what was uh, attractive about him was that he was willing to sacrifice and stuff like I would imagine. I mean, I don't know much about the story, to be honest, but if he's being if he's put at the center and if he's the one that's representing the community then he probably was willing to lead himself to sacrifice first and and was a strong leader, you know? And there's something about that that's attractive. And so when we put people that are, put anybody else at the center of our household to follow other than Christ, like other than the one that's worth following, yeah, we fall short. Yeah, and you know, St. Paul... Like Mickey, Drew Brees doesn't belong there. St. <clears throat> Paul Mickey wasn't, he wasn't a bishop or a priest. Like he was a simple brother. And, you know, it's funny because he was probably the servant of servants, but he's the one we remember, recognize. He, he was the least that probably people expected to, like, speak up and be the radical one in that mm-hmm. moment. And it teaches us a lot. Like, we don't have to have titles to be leaders in our faith. We don't have to, you know, be the bishop <laughs> or the be pastor. A deacon. Or, we don't even have to be no, a deacon, you know? But... But which deacon means servant, by the way. Yeah. So just to bring you back into the conversation, Adam, uh, yeah. is is like the, we we can all lead in our faith. We don't we don't have to say, hey, oh, you need a title, you need this. There's just a subtle difference that is hard to understand 
the difference between leading people to Jesus and leading people to ourselves. And it's really hard to explain that, understand it, without the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's impossible. But you have some of the best leaders, like little Charlene Richard is now a servant of God from Richard, Louisiana, who died at the age of 12, Mm. who's now leading, continuing to lead thousands of people to Christ after her death, Mm -hmm. decades later, and you say, wow, what a powerful leadership. It's because in her young life, she brought people to Jesus. And she knew that difference, that it wasn't about her, it wasn't about her personality, her persona. It was about him, and she let him in. She let him into her suffering with leukemia. She let him into her little life and all her little cares. She let him in to heal her and to be her Jesus, and that leads people, right? Um, so you you don't need a title. You don't even need to be smart. You don't even need to be old. You don't have to be good-looking either. You have to, be, you have to know that difference between... Bringing people to yourself or bringing people to Jesus. And it's hard to define it and describe it and understand it. But uh, that really is everything. Because the devil can use egotistical Catholics all day long. To do a little bit of good is way more acceptable to, to the devil than to actually do the Paul Meeky thing or the Charlene Richard thing. He'd rather take somebody who loves Jesus and give them an ego than destroy their faith altogether. Mm-hmm. And they get their followers always fall flat, you know, always are going to be lost. I mean, you put anybody besides Christ, because I mean, yeah, what Charlene Richard's doing is not attracting people to herself, although um, people have, you know, prayer devotions to her to some sort, you know, Um, she's attracting them to Christ, to Jesus. Yeah. And St. Paul Miki says this, his words, he said, the only reason for, for my being killed is that I have taught the doctrine of Christ, so the truth of Christ. I certainly did not. I certainly did teach the doctrine of Christ, and I thank God for this. Is the reason I die. I believe that I am telling only the truth before I die. So everything he staked his claim on was Jesus, right? The truth of Christ. In, in, in the midst of that, and was willing to die for it. Like knew that, that there was hope at the end uh, mm-hmm. of this. Well, maybe a little gut check for us is that if we, if we find ourselves with a sour face often as disciples of Christ because of how bad things are going, it might be all about us. Because even when things are going bad and we have to suffer, that's when the Paul Meekies and the Charlenes put a smile on their face. Mm-hmm. It's when St. Paul says, you know, I preach nothing but Christ crucified. You know, the experience of suffering for the gospel was a joy to Paul Meeke in that moment because he knew he wasn't dying for any other reason. It wasn't cancer killing him. It wasn't uh, he did too much of this in his life and now he has to pay for it. He died for Jesus. And that was his one consolation, but the greatest one in that moment. And uh, so for us, we get so sour-faced at the slightest struggles for Jesus. We really are wimps compared to people like that. But there's hope. I'm not saying like there's nothing. And the hope is, this is why God gives us Paul Miki. Because I can imitate that, but where do I imitate it? I'm not going to be crucified probably, but I am going to have to suffer for the gospel. Yeah. I am. I'm gonna, and when I feel resentful, bitter about that, when I think, you know, whatever, I need, a, I need to put a smile on my face because I'm suffering for Jesus. You know, and there, there's one thing, you know, that is great about being Catholic. You know, through our presbyterate, you know, the, the outward sign that, the collar, you know, the, the outward sign that 
I'm being I'm claimed for Christ. Like Jesus is my center. Like he he I'm living for Jesus. You know, wearing a cross. Like like just just that that outward sign. Like like I'm I'm committed to Jesus. Like you know, we bring this back to the Have you seen it at the beginning? It's like this <laughs> this guy is getting a jewel in his head. Like what <clears throat> from the heart the mouth speaks. Like from from the sign your heart speaks, right? Like, like the jewel in his head, like a, in a non-judgmental way is probably just like, what is the center of his life? Like, that's the thing that he's aiming for, right? Is this 24 million carat gold of like, look what I achieved. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's not going to fulfill, right? Like, but for us in a sense to, as Christians to not be afraid to also not have an inward interior relationship with Jesus, but to not be afraid to outwardly express that, to show that, you know, one of the things, you know, about Deacon Adam is like, he'll wear his Deacon collars is like, okay, you're not, you know, you could be afraid to wear that and be like, I don't, I don't want to like, I just want to blend in. <laughs> right. But like, I honestly think there's a lot of humiliation in not blending in. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, look, the white collar and black shirt or black dress or cassock is a very rich symbol, the black death. So like I've died to myself, I'm covered in it, I'm covered in black. White is life. I live to preach the gospel because it's on the throat, right? Like it comes out, like I've died to myself and I only exist to preach the gospel. And it's a rich symbol that people get, you know, like when they see you out. And people call me priest sometimes or hey father, you know what happens? I have a little conversation with them because of that, that would have never had. Right. If I was just wearing, you know, a saint's jersey. And I'm not, I'm not saying I should wear it all the time. I'm just saying this is one of the reasons clergy and religious are given distinctive dress is that the world needs to see that the church exists. Right. And if you go to a McDonald's, you might not ever know that there was a priest in there or a religious in there to change your life with one conversation to preach the gospel unless they were wearing something distinctive um, or having some kind of sign of that relationship with Jesus that they have. I can't tell you the times that I've gone through an airport and have seen someone go to confession to a priest that was just sitting there. Mm -hmm. It's happened multiple, multiple times. And I'm like, that's the church right there. Like, that's the church. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the health care problem. Are you paying too much for your health care cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks for listening in on the podcast. Feel free to share the podcast. I don't know how you do that. Click share, iTunes, Google Play, whatever the case may be. Go to discovertheartofliving.com. Find out more information about what we're doing. You can even help support us and the show. Speaking about supporting people who are doing gospel work, that's what we're doing through the radio, through speaking, through you know our marriage work, all the things that we're doing, and we can definitely use help in the cause and if you want to support catholic radio that's right we are having a bronco raffle right now only twenty dollars and you can win a 2021 ford bronco sport it's beautiful 
We talked about it last week because mm. I came up with broncoraffle.com. Yeah, it was a genius. Very simple. So just go to broncoraffle.com and you can have a chance to win a 2021 Bronco. Boom. Boom. Just like that. Maybe next year we'll raffle a uh, forehead diamond. <laughs> I mean, not $40 million, but maybe When he gets tired 10, of it, we'll ask million. him to donate it. $10 yeah. million. When he has to start going to the chiropractor because his back hurts. I think we'd get more tickets sold for... No, the, I guess you'd sell the diamond. But like if, if part of the, the thing was you had to put in your forehead the rest of your life, we're going to sell more Bronco tickets than... Than diamond in your head tickets, I think. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, but if you had to like, you could put it anywhere else. Yeah, like but like, what, box. what's the tr- <laughs> what's the trend here? Like, okay, say like you don't have money, but you're just like, I'm gonna put something in my forehead. I'm gonna, I'm gonna literally put something in my forehead. What would you put? Like, you know, like people might just that put was like be my first question to like you. a like a little watch. They might just put it put it in their forehead. Well, or, if you're really gonna follow Jesus, you gotta put a crucifix up there. Golly. Okay, so you had a question, is what you're saying. All right, well, we'll just get right to it. Let's do um, our world-famous, world-famous six-pack of questions. Who wants to go first? Question number one, what would you put on your forehead? Like if I had to... (laughs) I was going to ask you that. It's not really a tattoo, it's an insert. Yeah. Yeah. Right? You shove something permanently into your head. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it can be seen. It's not under the skin. Right. Well, you like, know, like a piercing. I feel like you can take out like ear piercings, you know? So. Okay. So if I had to. But you're going to wear it in public. If I had to. Hmm. What about hmm, my wedding, <laughs> my wedding band? Oh, that would work. Now it's already on my finger. So, you know, as, as a married person, like a ring is an outward sign you know, we talked about the collar, but for married folks, like your ring is an outward sign of your love and fidelity. Mm-hmm. Now, marriage has sort of taken a hit in our culture because of the divorce rate and people don't really, a lot of people, you know, don't think about the sanctity and sacred of marriage. But in, in the in the Christian world, you know, the circle is eternal love. It's on your finger. It's an outward sign. And I think we should be more outwardly about our love for our families and our spouses. So I, I would say like if I had to, someone made me, I, that's the first thing that came to mind. Um, but nice. you know, anyway, I don't know if you guys would do anything. I think I would do a glass eyeball. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That's yes. a good one. Yes. Uh, it w- that would be oozy. Get a lot of attention. <laughs> that could get oozy. All right. Question number two. Uh, we talked about just kind of a, um, destination happiness myth of searching after things, searching after things, searching after things. And just like any other human behavior, we can know that intellectually, but still do it, right? Like, I know that that's a bad idea, but I'm still going to do it. So what have you seen just working with folks um, on that issue? What are some effective ways to actually train ourselves to no longer seek after those things? Well, I think, you know, really to, to get into that a little bit is it is to be okay with the fact that our nature is to seek. You know, I mean, Jesus even, seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open. Like, our nature is to seek, it's to seek God and to find fulfillment, right? So if you're seeking and you know your your heart is longing and your lack of peace is just know that part of that is your nature. God created you to be a seeker of truth, to be a seeker of fulfillment. And so, and if you've seeked and sought the wrong things and you find yourself in regret, like take, take some of that off of you and just know that like your deepest desire is to seek truth, right? And you may have fallen upon other things that have not fulfilled you. But know that your deepest desire is to seek what is good. 
And so I believe like just acknowledging that first and then just asking the question is, what am I looking for? What is it really that's going to fulfill me? What am I seeking? And then begin to kind of take that desire and nurture that with, within the lenses of the gospel, of God, of the church, of the sacraments, of prayer. And the more and more you, you take that desire and urge and you marinate that into prayer and marinate that into discovering who God is, then I believe that you find the fulfillment that you're seeking. Awesome. Question number, are you going to say something? I'll just say that's a polished answer there. Okay. That's good. Okay. I didn't, no, I didn't no, know. Because no, really no, you were kind of looking at me like I had a third eyeball in my forehead. No, I was just uh, taking it in. <clears throat> so like Taking the, it in. But, you know, <laughs> would you do something in your forehead? I think I, saw, I thought about it while you guys were talking. <laughs> <laughs> I was like trying to think about what's the best thing. I'm like, what if I, what if I pierced like a little mustache right there? So it looked like I had a unibrow. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll just always have a unibrow. Just always. Yeah. I good, mean, I'm married now, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Your wife can't leave you for having a unibrow. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, question number three. One of the things that uh, we kind of talked about was how we uh, preach Christ, like how we, how we talk about Christ and who he is. Um, and one of the things I, th- I think I've struggled with even some was the Christ that was being preached to me wasn't necessarily a man I wanted to follow sometimes. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. it's sort of weak and fluffy. I don't know if you could talk. Sir for Jesus. Right. I don't know if you could talk a little bit about, <laughs> I don't know, he just flipped his hair. I know you can't see that right now because you're on the radio. That's what I call Sir for Jesus. You know, there was like, in in the 90s, there was like this picture of Jesus that was floating around and he was literally, it looked like he had come off like a beach surfing, you know, you know, wavy hair and <laughs> yeah, and there was part of it's like, oh, he's a real person, he's friendly, but it was just like he was just like, Whoa, what's up, dude? <laughs> you know, and it's like, is that really Jesus? And and you know, like, no, in a sense of like I think our imagination and our imagery, you know contemporary wise is kind of you know, kinda put some spins on it. But when you go back, you know, you were talking about, you know, teens even today like wanting to rediscover the history of the church like when you really go back and and you look at the you know paintings and artistry and like depictions you you really kind of begin to uncover and you go back to the shroud of turn like just a like this jesus was like this real manly man you know i don't he wasn't six four by all means you know but he was he was just a regular you know, do like he would have mixed in. And if he was like building a house, you're like, Oh yeah, that's one of the construction guys, you know, like he just, he, he, and he was bold enough to like, you know, be fully human, you know, although he was Mm -hmm. fully divine. Um, but reading the gospels, you don't get a sense that Jesus was, you know, sunbathing on the beach as a surfer, right? Like he was (laughs) very bold and, and masculine and loving and caring just as we all should be at the same time. Yeah, one of the most useless exercises is to think, you know, what kind of man would Jesus be today? Because this is something we do with dead people. <laughs> <laughs> like as if Jesus doesn't have his own story. Right. Yeah. He was a child in Jerusalem and he's still alive. You see what I'm saying? Like he's, right. you don't have to imagine who Jesus might be. Right. Focus on who he is. Right. Get to know who he exactly. really is, who grew up in an actual culture, who lived a certain way that we know a lot about from the Gospels. It's useless to try to imagine the idea of Jesus today. He's a, he's alive. Talk to him about it. You know. I think the second thing I'd put in my forehead 
I was thinking about it. <laughs> I was like, the wedding ring, I'd put a mirror. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, look in the mirror. Like, if people are looking at me, they're staring at themselves. <laughs> How annoying would that be? You're like, I keep seeing myself. I'd be like, who are you? <laughs> look at the real you. <laughs> yeah. Whose turn is it? Uh, that was sort of a question. Like, what? Do, how do we avoid that? How do we? Yeah, I answered that question. So it's your turn. That's yeah. me. So yeah. question three. No four. four. Oh gosh, I've lost everything. Yeah, I started today. Yeah. Oh, that's what got me. All mm-hmm. right. So question number four. Um, we talked about Saint Paul Miki and the Japanese and and this uh, leadership that he had in bringing people who willing to be suffer for Jesus. Um, I want to hear like especially your perspective with young people. You know, like how do you toughen up Christians? I mean, we're just we tend to be kind of wimpy in America, you know, so, but, but you can't do that as a husband and father. Like you can't be a wimp or as a mother and a, and a parent, like we have to be strong for Jesus. So what are, what are some ways you find effective to kind of like toughen people up? Yeah. Culturally, like we're not getting any better, you know, we're, we're sort of, you know, in this opt out culture, I just want to opt out. I don't want to go to work. I, I want to opt out. I have options out and I can still get paid, you know, um, we're in this cancel culture, you know, where we can just like not enter into a conversation and just hate someone for what they like. We literally have, you know, you know, I just, I just want everything to come easy and free, you know? And the reality is that, you know, that's not life, you know, and that's not the Christian life more importantly, that it is hard and that, you know, um, you know, to go back to a little Uzi, you know, when we talked about <laughs> Augustine, you know, uh, in, in pain, there's beauty, right? Like, and so like the beauty of the Christian life is that it does come through suffering. It does come through discipline. It does come through the fact that, hey, I don't want to pray today, but I should. It does come from the fact that I don't feel like going to mass, but I am. I don't want to go to confession, but I do. Like, like the you know, those virtuous actions of doing the hard things brings beautiful results on the other end, which is that we have peace and holiness and we're growing in the sainthood. So what, what comes easy is not the things that help us to grow in our life. And spiritually, the things that just come easy aren't the things that help us to grow spiritually uh, and to be at peace. We really have to engage into the difficulty of the Christian life, which, by the way, Lent's coming up, mm-hmm. you know? And so... With that, Lent is this reminder that the Christian life is hard. It's a, it, it is about sacrifice and suffering and fasting and uh, weeding out areas of our life that are hindering the peace in our heart and walking with Jesus. So to think intentionally about that and enter into Lent knowing that, make it a little difficult on yourself this year. Do not make it easy because that won't bear fruit at the end. It's like, oh, Lent was easy. It's like, well, you didn't grow. Yeah, with that, in question number five, um, is there anything that you've done in your family that you would recommend doing that helps instill your kids to like do the arduous things, like do the difficult things instead of the easy? Does, does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, and, and there's certain just virtue that you teach like throughout, like commit to your commitments and whether it be whatever yeah. activities and studying, like, no, don't take the easy route, like, and constantly trying to, yes, work and work is hard. All those things teach a lot, you know, but but I find a lot of families don't bridge that into the spiritual life. Hey, you should be having a prayer time. I know it. I know you. your friends think you're crazy, or I know you don't want to, but you should. And this is why. 
And this is why we're going to pray as a family. I don't want to do that. I know you don't want to. Neither Mm -hmm. do I, actually. (laughs) But we are, right? Mm -hmm. And so making those tough decisions actually teaches. And I find a lot of parents don't want to make their kids uncomfortable a little bit, you know, but it's in the discomfort and the heart that bears the fruit down the road. Love it. All right, question number six. Who's going to win the Super Bowl? Hmm. You knew I was going to ask that. The commercials. I cannot wait. (laughs) And when I don't have a dog in the fight in the game, I actually really love watching the game because it's like I really don't care who wins, and Mm -hmm. and that's the truth. I really don't. But uh, I I love the commercials, the ones that that are good and funny. I've been disappointed at times. But both teams have this intrigue. You know, the older quarterback who's who's like the greatest of all time facing the young, new, greatest of all time quarterback. It's kind of a cool, like you couldn't make this game up. So it's going to be fun to watch if you are a football fan. A lot of people may not watch. They'll eat the food, drink the beer, and watch the commercials. I will turn off the halftime good show. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's, it, that not, never goes good. You're not going to pick a team? You're not going to do that? No. I don't. I, I, all right. Uh, I don't really care. Like I really. But you don't even think like, oh, they're probably going to win. I think Kansas City wins if you're. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's the the bet the betting. But I would never bet against. It's hard to bet against Tom Brady. Tom Brady, yeah. who's won six Super Bowls. It's pretty impressive. Never heard. He of knows him, how so. to do it. You're right. That's it. All right. Thanks everyone for listening to the show. Uh, thanks for sharing, being a part of it, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. God bless. <laughs>